Hello, listeners. Today is a special episode where we really dig deep into science. Having had been introduced to this project, its people, and visited the construction site a few times now, I am now diving and facing the inevitable facet that makes in ITER possible the physics. <laughs> this was definitely not my favorite subject back in high school. However, I find myself interviewing five very intelligent and talented scientists who have worked very hard to be here at the epicenter of fusion energy. Nevertheless, I'm quite lucky to be here with them as they are young and frankly hilarious. If you've heard and read about fusion, hydrogen, tokamaks, and ether, but yet do not completely grasp on how it all works together, don't worry, this episode is truly for you. Or if this is your first encounter of this show and think it's way too much science, well, mm, you're kind of right. <laughs> However, these scientists break it down really well for a normal person, even like me. So don't worry, we're in the same boat. Stay tuned. Hello, you're listening to All About Eater on the World Radio Paris. I'm your host, Crudy, and I'll be discovering what the Eater Project and Fusion Energy are all about. Eater is one of the most ambitious energy projects ever attempted. It is here in the south of France that a coalition of 35 nations is collaborating to build the largest and most powerful device to prove the scientific and technological feasibility of fusion power. Come and join me in this audio journey. So I'm back here at the visitor center with the five Monaco postdoc scientists. It's an intimidating situation, to be honest, but they all look friendly. <laughs> so hello, everyone. Can you please introduce yourself here and tell our listeners what are you working on here at ITER? Hi, my name is William Grosish and I'm originally from India. I am working on uh, what is called as detachment physics and trying to model it using numerical methods and, and understand it better. Hi, I'm Anna Medvedeva. I'm from Russia. And uh, at ITER, I work on synthetic diagnostics uh, for ITER. Hi, I'm Damien Collette. I'm from France. And uh, at ITER, I'm working on a diagnostics measurement on how uh, impurities uh, go through the, through the plasma and how to get some extra information from measurement. Hi, I'm Lei Chen. I'm from China. In ITER, I'm working on uh, analyze the metal damage induced by high heat loads during unmitigated plasma instabilities. Hi, I'm Valentina Nikolaeva. I'm from Russia and I work in diagnostics division uh, developing synthetic uh, reflectometry diagnostic, which is aimed to measure density profiles and fluctuations. Actually, one of the things I would love to know, why did you guys decide to... Why did you choose fusion? In very short, like the shortest way that you can tell us. Money. Why fusion? Okay, <laughs> we've got money. Anything else? No, it's mostly more romantic. It's like the opportunity. Without mask. Without mask. We'll choose whatever is good. Why did we choose fusion? Yeah, why fusion? In in the shortest way, yeah, that you can say, why fusion? Well, for me, f fusion because the energy security of uh, mankind is a huge problem. It's a real problem. There is no final answer to it. 
renewables can help, but uh, in an era of climate change, um, we need something better and something that will last us longer. So fusion. Hmm. Anybody else? Why fusion for you? Uh, for me personally, fusion is first of all because the physics behind is so complex and interesting that it's one of the most amazing fields. And the other one is, of course, that I, I like to have a job which can be useful for humanity. And I think that fusion is really the only way for future you know, energy needs. Yeah. So I'm not going to be very original, but yeah, the main reason was uh, I wanted to uh, take part of something which is good overall for mankind. And I uh, felt like fusion was a very clean, safe uh, source of energy which can be sustainable in the in the long run. Uh, I'll still add the fact that I think tokamaks are cool. <laughs> yeah. And what about the parties and the drinks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, simply by fusion because we can... I mean, we have a nice example, fusion exists. We just need to overcome a few technical minor and not so minor issues and get it finally. Uh, so, uh, fusion energy is uh, unlimited, clean and safe energy. It can serve their energy, high energy demanding, climate change, pollution, or all these things in the future. Uh, personally, I really think fusion is a very cool project. Uh, we are developing new technology, new uh, new physics every day. Yeah, that's all. So all of you actually have the cleanest of hearts and it's really for the future and all the good things. We're very good people. You're very good people. <laughs> We're very happy. You're the one working on this. <laughs> I, I can imagine, all right. So as we've heard, we've got five real-life physicists here working on things that people outside of the science arena just don't understand. But as we've heard, they're passionate about fusion and are ready to tackle a very complex challenge. Understandably, the Monaco postdoc program isn't an easy one to get into. Scientists from around the world can apply here, but only five are selected according to the set criteria and their skills. So you are really some of the brightest young minds in the science world coming and working at ITER. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about this Monaco postdoc program? Um, I mean, in very short, it's a great opportunity to join ITER for um, uh, after we defended our PhD uh, topics. Uh, usually it's quite a common way in academy to find some postdoc position. And... Um, Usually it's related for some uh, research institutes. And it was really great that there is an opportunity at ITER to have a postdoc. So, um, and uh, that opportunity provided um, um, from, I don't know this word in English. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, Prince Albert, if you're, if you're hearing it, thank you so much. That was <laughs> very, very nice of you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think someone should stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Are there certain criteria? Can you can you talk a bit about the program, perhaps? Um, I think this program also committed to have uh, gender equality. We always have boys and girls. Uh, so, uh, and for example, this year we have three girls. It's very good. And uh, I have worked in each. I uh, worked in each uh, project 
for many, many years, but I have never had a chance to really work and visit in Utah. This is really the first time I've been working in Utah. It's a really good opportunity. With regards to criteria, uh, this happens every two years, and um, the candidates are selected from member countries of the ETA project, okay. and so they cannot be of any other nationalities apart from those that constitute the consortium. And um, usually they have quite rigorous methods of interviewing and screening applicants. Um, so one would like to think that one is really fortunate to be here. <laughs> um, and uh, also uh, it's, it's a great opportunity to be here because uh, ITER is at the sort of the, is a nerve center for coordinating fusion research all across the world, across all the labs that exist in various continents. So it's nice to be here where that happens and that gets uh, collated and sort of debated at this very place. So that's really nice. Oh, lovely. Thank you. So now let's talk about the reason that we're all here, fusion. We're in front of the tokamak model right here. So I'd love to start from the beginning. What is it? What is fusion? Can you tell us how does it work? Uh, okay, so to start, uh, fusion is a nuclear reaction which um, fuses uh, light elements in order to create a heavier one. It's a reaction that takes place in the sun and that we are trying to replicate here uh, at ITER. So uh, as a starting point, we can imagine that in the sun, uh, well, first it's a very hot ball of uh, plasma uh, and um, the um, the temperature is achieved because there is a very high gravity because it's a huge um, amount of mass which is uh, which is there. Uh, here in uh, on Earth, we cannot really have a sun-sized um, machine, obviously. So, in <laughs> in order to compensate uh, gravity, we're using uh, magnetic fields, which are used to uh, confine the plasma, and we're um, achieving high temperatures by heating uh, a gas which then uh, becomes a plasma and which can reach such a million degrees. Uh, so a plasma, it's a very hot gas in which the atoms are uh, divided into a nucleus and uh, electrons. If you could give us a visual image because a you flame, lost me at A atoms. flame and uh, <laughs> lightning are two examples of plasmas that you can see in, uh, in nature. Ah, okay, like lightning. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is plasma exactly? Uh, plasma is uh, what we call the fourth state of matter. So basically, if you take um, matter at a very low temperature, you have um, solid matter. If you heat it up, it becomes liquid. If you heat it up again, it becomes a gas. And if you keep on heating that gas, then the atoms of the gas are kind of... Um, um, separating into nucleus and electrons, and it becomes what we call a plasma. And as an example, you can find plasmas in flames or lightning in nature. Okay. So now going back, you said there's going to be plasma inside the tokamak. So how, how does that work exactly? What is it doing to make fusion? Um, so um, the, the plasma is the part in which the reactions occur. Uh, it's the uh, particles that uh, form the plasma, which actually uh, react together in order to uh, generate energy. Um, but okay, so 
as you spoke about the plasma, all right, so we see that in the machine. Can you develop further? Yeah, so we need to put somewhere the plasma, actually, and uh, tokamak is a kind of um, big donut. So we put it like a f very nice feeling. We put plasma in this circle. So basically, it's uh, yeah to put a gas in the vacuum chamber. And tokamak is, um, well, um, I think it's a known Russian acronym, like a, um, a toroidal chamber uh, with magnetic coils. Um, so in this chamber, we put a gas and then we uh, ionize it. Uh, how can we ionize it? We have in the middle of the machine solenoid. So then we put a current and this current uh, will make um, uh, electric field which accelerates um, particles. And then you can ask me like, why they accelerated? Because you put neutral gas. Well, in reality, there is always some small fraction of ionized particles. Even in this room, we still have some ionized particles. And then when we apply changing electric field, particles will follow this uh, force and uh, they will accelerate. And so they will collide and make more and more, more particles to get ionized. So at some point, we will get ensemble of um, um, quasi-stable um, ionized particles with different charges, which is called plasma. And then the point is how to confine it in the chamber and how to accelerate it and to get it uh, more dense and hot so the criteria for fusion at some point will meet. All right, so it sounds simple, almost too easy. So then why, why are we here actually? Why is it taking so much time? Why is it so difficult? Well, the issue of this uh, plasma soup of electrons is, and ions is that um, if you just leave it like this, uh, it would expand and uh, lose the energy while you want to keep it dense and hot and confined. And for this, in a tokamak, uh, we use a magnetic field which will uh, guide the charged particles along its lines. So if you make it in a circle, in a donut shape, then your particles will stay inside a tokamak and you can uh, change the parameters to hit them and produce more fusion reactions. So why is it difficult and why don't we have fusion energy already if we know how to do it? Well, because it, it is a complex physics problem uh, to um, make this confinement of plasma better and to keep plasma longer inside a tokamak. It is because we have a lot of ways of transport of these particles and energy outside the tokamak. And uh, in particular, uh, in tokamak, like in any liquid or gas, we have turbulence, uh, which makes a lot of instabilities and waves, which can drive particles uh, on the wall, and then you will lose what you just heated up. So uh, the main problem uh, from the physics side uh, in a tokamak is to study turbulence and its mechanisms and uh, to predict them and to be able to uh, mitigate the effects that they can produce. Okay, so if I understand correctly, because there's all this turbulence happening, 
and it can hit the wall and it doesn't stay long enough to actually continue moving circularly again and again for exactly. long. Fusion can't happen until we until it stays long enough. Well, fortunately, um, in the 1980s, uh, scientists discovered that uh, there are some uh, modes of confinement in a tokamak, which is called high confinement mode or H mode, where plasma uh, can keep its energy inside and stay longer. Okay. And this mode happens uh, in a surprising way uh, when plasma self-organizes. Uh, when you try to hit it a little bit more, at some point it transits to a different mode where the turbulence is reduced, the transport of energy and particles outside is reduced, and in the, this mode we can uh, keep uh, efficient fusion reactions for a longer time. And uh, it's a fascinating <laughs> subject in plasma physics uh, to study this transition to the high confinement mode and to understand what actually drives plasma to go into this state. And there are many theories uh, made to explain it and still on actual tokamaks which are working uh, all scientists try to uh, study and make experiments to, to prove some of the theories or to prove them wrong and then to uh, predict what will happen in ITER and how we can go to this mode. Um, okay, so, well, William, can you tell us how does this machine actually work? How do we turn it on? Um, all right. Uh, so what's first done is once everything is built and ready, we need to get rid of whatever impurity gases that might be present inside the chamber where we want the plasma to be. And to, to do that, we, we evacuate the chamber. It takes a while, as you can imagine. Uh, you need to pump out the gas and then you need to do a lot of other processes like heating the entire chamber so that the solid walls that might have trapped certain gases inside them between atoms of the wall materials expand and release the gases that are there and so that's so you got to be cleaning that's you, how you're starting basically you're cleaning. you're cleaning the oven before <laughs> okay. it can be used to cook okay and so that's the first part of it and then of course once you're sure of your fidelity of cleaning you then go to the next step which is you start putting in some gas of known uh, purity and proportion you know the composition of the gas very clearly this is studied and this has been uh, wargamed in exercises on simulations in the past. And so you put this, knowing what will happen to it, inside the reactor. And you then do what uh, Valentina earlier said, which is you try to create a, an electric, induce an electric field basically by sort of this Faraday's effect. You, you run an electric, f uh, a current in the solenoid and that induces a current inside the gas of the plasma, thereby splitting those atoms apart and making it into electrons and ions and neutrals. And that is then when you have plasma and, and after this basically anything can happen. It's a, it's uh, it's a feast for all. Basically, the plasma might collapse. The plasma might go on being a plasma. It might generate fusion. It might not. So we need to do a lot of things to make sure that it continues to do so. It might create a 
call. What did you say? Can you tell <laughs> us? I don't think you want to say that. Okay, wow. So, in fact, is that what you're doing? You're testing, you're checking to see what the plasma will do, or do you know already what it will do? Well, we have a fair idea what it's going to do. There are certain conditions and certain scenarios where we don't exactly know how much of something will happen. <laughs> Rather, the degrees to which something can happen. If, for example, it's, it's like a kettle problem. You're boiling water. We now know that we just can't boil it in an open container. We need to put it in a pressure cooker, which is okay. our tokamak. That's safer. That's better. That does it more efficiently, uh, faster. But there are certain things that we that can that can still set the whistle, and so we we need to know those scenarios, to what degree it can set off something that we don't like, and these are all called in general parlance disruptions, instabilities, or certain modes. We we use different physics terms to okay so to describe them. From what I understand, is it like you turn on the machine? And if it's like a pressure cooker, you want to make sure that the pressure is inside. Whatever you're cooking is actually going to turn out well and that we can use it later. Like a dal when you put it in the pressure cooker. Sort of, yeah, exactly. Okay. And you want it to continuously, basically, <laughs> the difference here is that you want it to cook continuously. You don't want it to stop and you don't want the dal to go bad. Okay. So. <laughs> okay, that I get. All right, so now we know, as you said, that there can be a lot of damage, I guess, that can be done. And Lei, you said that that's what you're working on. Can you develop further? Um, as other postdocs uh, mentioned before, in the core of plasma can be 100 million degree. And then if this uh, plasma or electrons not confined where where it can hit the uh, warm materials, um, it can arrive 100 megawatt per square meter to the wall. And even for tungsten, tungsten is the highest melting point material in the world, metal material in the world. It can even make tungsten melting. And uh, this can happen during plasma uh, instability, instabilities. A uh, very typical example is called plasma disruption. And uh, to make it worse, uh, some very high energy electrons up to uh, 50 meg electron volt, it can also uh, penetrate the warm material, it can penetrate deeply into the bark, to the joint, even to the cooling water. This can create a very big problem, um, especially for the safety issue. As for these things, uh, yes, of course, eater, we need to avoid that. Um, that's why uh, eater is a very, very important project it's called Disruption Mitigation System Project. And they do this experiment um, in Korea, in UK, in US. Yeah, so this is um, this kind of event we should definitely avoid in the final uh, plasma operation period, which will happen in 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's actually very surprising what you're saying, that there are, I guess, experiments uh, dedicated to figuring out what kind of damage can be, will, or will happen due to the plasma to the tokamak. Can you tell us more about the experiments? Because in my head, I see 
like futuristic cold rooms with like high ray guns shooting around what is it that you actually do in the experiments and how does that work um yes i will give i will give an example uh what i'm doing now uh in jet i'm doing some simulations to validate an experiment uh uh in jet and they try to mitigate the eta plasma disruptions and uh, they try to use uh, launch uh, to try to launch very high energy electrons and very high uh, current up to mag mag ampe yeah yeah how, so uh, how hot is that I, I don't know um how hot how to how to compare it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's but yeah. <laughs> so the the heat is uh, several magnitude, uh, uh, several magnitude order higher than the electric torch, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we found in the jet, uh, it's really a localized, very very localized melting, but very deep. And even you found the beryllium is boiling. You can see the uh, beryllium. Um, out, let's say the brilliant gas going around uh, in the in the talk mark can really see it, and but these kind of things we really need to avoid in 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 ether. <sighs> yeah, cannot, for sure. If, if this kind of event happen, uh, we should we should definitely avoid for a single event. Yeah, okay. if if this happen too much, it can make water leak. Uh, water leak, and then the whole machine need to shut down. Yeah, then this will be five months or six months <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah. So it will be what? There will be five months, six months, the machine cannot work. Oh, for five or six months, the machine can't work. Yeah. Okay. So then with, so then that means with what you're doing, I guess, at JET as well as ITER is figuring out what the damages are. And then does it also involve how to, I don't know, fix them or avoid it? Um, uh, what my work will be uh, predict how much, let's say how much, uh, uh, let's say how much electrons, uh, how, uh, um, how to say <laughs> What I'm doing now is the maximum uh, electron, the uh, maximum damage a uh, material can suffer. Uh, so worst before, case scenarios, that's yeah, what the, you're doing. Uh, the treasure, let's say. If the if the energy uh, of electrons is higher than this, or if the the heat is much bigger than this, then this disruption mitigation system must work. Yeah, so this kind of get okay. the treasure. Yeah, we're getting into the science. The yeah. worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. Um, and if I could ask as well, now that we're talking about the machine and how it runs. What does it run on? What powers it? So on, on ITER, the uh, fusion reaction, reactions will be um, obtained by fusing um, hydrogen isotopes together, namely uh, deuterium and tritium. Um, deuterium is um, hydrogen with one extra neutron, and it can be found in, um, in the oceans, for example, or it's uh, obtained also in, um, in some uh, heavy water um, nuclear reactors uh, already operating in the world. Okay. Uh, tritium is a little bit more um, of a uh, problematic issue in order to how to find it or create it because it doesn't exist on Earth uh, naturally. It's, uh, it has um, uh, a decay which is very fast, which means that after being created, it just uh, decays into uh, other isotopes of hydrogen uh, quite fast to the point that there was no more uh, inventory of tritium uh, a couple um, decades ago. 
so if it doesn't exist <laughs> how uh, so do you yes so get it's, it? it's actually can be created by uh, nuclear reactions uh, if you uh, fire some neutrons on lithium or um, you can also find traces of tritium in some heavy water nuclear reactors. Um, so at the moment, we, um, several kilos of tritium are available on Earth. And so that's what will be used to, to start ITER. Um, and is that enough, that amount? to? Um, so to start ITER, yes, it is enough. Uh, then there is another um, problem, a challenge to be uh, addressed. It's that uh, for the future uh, fusion generators, uh, we still want to have uh, tritium available. So if ITER uses all of it, then there is kind of a problem. And uh, one of the um, w one of the uh, issues to address by ITER is to see how we can uh, generate more tritium than we uh, burn in the in the plasma. And that is by that could be achieved by putting some uh, lithium blankets around the um, the tokamak, and neutrons generated for by the reactions are going to uh, react on these in these blankets to create uh, more tritium. Okay, so that's the fuel that you use to turn yes. this on. It's the mm. two. Yes, deuterium and tritium okay. are the two two fuel elements for ITER. And then I I was also pondering about something else. Is this tokamak machine the only way to make fusion energy possible? I mean, yeah, basically it's... Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's the only one way because there are some rumors that alternatives <laughs> exist. And, for example, machine with similar principle of magnetic confinement of plasma, they called stellarators, as it comes from Latin words stella, the star. So in order to have like sun or star on Earth. So they, uh, instead of magnetic coils um, with a round shape, which we have in, well, it's not round, um, in Tokamak, we put um, current in these coils. And in a stellarator, it's uh, coils with a very complicated shape, which actually produce uh, this um, complicated uh, shape of magnetic field with um, how do you call it actually? Heli. Uh, depends on the yeah, this depends on the uh, configuration. That's a complicated Helicity. configuration, yeah, with helicity, which is uh, done uh, mechanically. So it's a very difficult engineering project to create a very interesting uh, sh shape of coils. So if the tokamak is yeah. shaped like a donut, what yeah. is this one? The uh, later like shaped as donut, yeah, <laughs> twisted donut, which was yeah in some had some hard times. So yeah, 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 yeah. But but uh, these machines uh, exist and um, um, they also yeah provide very interesting results for uh, plasma research. Interesting results. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's. Uh, Really uh, very nice uh, to, when we try to study different issues, which are still unclear in plasma, it's really nice to compare experimental results in different uh, machines, for example, Stellarator and Tokamak. We use similar diagnostics and we can uh, then uh, make some comparisons between experimental results. So why Tokamak and not Stellarator? Uh, well, <laughs> from really from... Um, Let's say the main principle is, uh, let's say, 
still from engineering point of view, it's simpler. Yeah, I mean, from engineering point of view, mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, still we have an issues of uh, instabilities, which we need to deal with. And um, another principle is to um, have um, laser ignition. It's like you have uh, many lasers and um, some targets, which is, you can imagine like a kind of small balloon with uh, deuterium and tritium layers. And then you try to put some forces to suppress it um, equally from different sides. Like if you put many, many lasers around it, um, and then you put all this energy so to suppress it. And so the, this feeling in this um, spherical target becomes very dense and so the fusion appear, but the problem is uh, it's really hard to suppress it equally, compress it, yeah. Because even if you put your fingers on the balloon, you still have some parts that goes uh, between your fingers and um, there are different um, areas, we call it different gradients appear. And again, it will be not really um, homogeneous. Homogeneous. Yeah, homogeneous. So yeah. Well, I, I will admit something. I guess before we go, um, I think the first time I actually heard of nuclear fusion was because of Iron Man. <laughs> you know, in the movie, because he—that's how he powered his suit. <laughs> so, do you think one day in the far future that would be possible? Like, we would have nuclear fusion powered suits or I don't know electricity in a small because here Tokamak is huge gigantic um, would it ever be possible to make it smaller like Definitely. how we do with the iPhone yeah I mean <laughs> we have our motto like uh, one Tokamak for every house so it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, yes <laughs> Yeah, just and so what we just discussed before, let's make a startup announcement. So <laughs> if you would like to have uh, your know. own yeah, fusion reactor, yeah, don't hesitate and let's make a crowdfunding. <laughs> well, honestly, about startups, um, the one thing that is fascinating about it is that there are so many of them, despite nuclear fusion being something that is so important for, for mankind. And the reason there are so many private enterprises jumping into this field is because they see the need for it themselves. And I think we've dragged our feet for too long as a race so in trying to do this, in trying to build this project to, to secure our future, uh, our energy needs. Uh, and so uh, people who have the capital and the, the wherewithal to 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 invest in something like this have come forward and sort of taken a step. And there's also a lot of money to be made because you, the offshoots of working in fusion is that you generate new things, new technologies, new methods all the time. You're doing something new every few years. So if, if you could just imagine a society putting all its um, motivation and, and just its uh, desire to sort of produce something like the iPhone into fusion, then we can do this maybe much faster and probably we'll get to the startup that Valentina wants to launch <laughs> and have uh, little tokamaks in every home. Yeah, I'll take the 
the startup for the tokamaks in the bathrooms <laughs> because i think it's important to to heat your water <laughs> Th- that also goes to show i guess that people do believe fusion would work because right now it's still at least for the general public or at least somebody like me it doesn't really seem possible it's very yeah. futuristic even the words tokamak i think there's too many marvel comic movies about it and yeah. and less uh, serious talk yeah, so it feels like fantasy yeah but it's not it's not it? no it's something that we can do okay. we just need more people to to believe us more people to help us with yeah. the funding and yeah. with uh, and with their pockets with uh, w- yeah just political <laughs> will <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know the conditions in in the other countries, but in my homeland, China, really lots of people believe that. And uh, we have a very fancy name we call this fusion project, Man Made Sun. And uh, yeah, and there are also some private companies. Uh, they really now invest lots of money for uh, for for try to um, uh, collect their fusion researchers from. From from outboard, uh, they are attracting us to go back to China, and uh, yeah. So this is really good good point in China. Maybe because in China we really need lots of energy. We are building lots of fission power plant. Uh, we are also planning. Maybe in ten years we also want to build fusion power plants. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, I mean <laughs> definitely, <laughs> it's it's, it's good bad. plan. <laughs> Yeah, especially with big countries, um, yeah. a lot of energy is needed, a lot of resources are needed. And like you said, hopefully we'll put in our human will and desire, then we can move mountains, even though we are just little like ants. Well, thank you so much um, for your time and for being here. It was really lovely to actually understand a bit more of how Tokamak works and to know that Iron Man is possible to have a little Tokamak in the bathrooms as well in the future. Um, well, thank you. and. See you around at the next fusion party (laughs) after COVID. Yeah, like we always say, every 50 years. Every 50 years. Thank you. Hello again, listeners. So that was an unexpected and fun conversation about serious physics that even I never thought possible. I hope you two learned and laughed along the way. If you want to learn more specifically about the Monaco ITER postdoctorate fellowship program, you can find more information on the ITER website. Now, in order to dig deeper into ITER and the incredible work that it's been doing, we will be rewinding to its past for our next episode. Because it's always good to learn about the beginning at the beginning. (laughs) Stay tuned for our next episode on World Radio Paris. (laughs)